Garage Horse and Hound has now made shopping easier with the online store. The same extensive catalogue, same keen prices. You can place an order online or over the phone. It's that easy all the time, every time. Garage Horse and Hound. This podcast brought to you by Bing Lee. Bing Lee now has 30-minute contactless click and collect. For the latest entertainment and tech gear plus a huge range of appliances, shop online at binglee.com.au. Available for delivery or 30-minute contactless click and collect at your local store. Yeah, welcome to our Monday segment. As always, Monday's experts discovering a little bit of the story behind the name. And we saw the surname Schofield pop up in the the lights, of course, on the weekend with the son of Glyn Schofield, Chad, getting the chocolates there in the English millennium. But I had this penciled in in my thought to get today's guest on. I speak of Glyn Schofield because he's had a remarkable career and he's got a remarkable story and it's not over yet and that's one thing I love and it's a pleasure to talk to him this morning on Sky Sports Radio. Glyn, good morning to you mate. Welcome to Monday's Experts. Hi Dave, thanks very much. Good morning to you as well. Uh, wanted to, to chat about your career because it's been a, a fantastic one and we'll chat about chat a little bit later on because that must give you immense joy seeing uh, that legacy continue on through the family but You've got that, uh, you, you grew up in South Africa. Tell us about what it was like growing up in South Africa and what drove you down the path of becoming a world-class jockey. Um, yeah, that's going back a little while now. Um, obviously, growing up in South Africa as a young kid, it's, I suppose it's like any kid growing up. You just, uh, I was sports mad as a, as a youngster. I used to play a lot of uh, soccer, a uh, little bit of cricket, but I was I was really into my soccer and um didn't do much riding, horse riding at all. My sisters used to ride a bit. Um, and then as it turned out, uh, they went into uh, obviously the regular business world and I ended up uh, riding horses for a living. So a bit of a, bit of a contrast there. But um, yeah, uh, growing up um, obviously in Johannesburg and then becoming an apprentice uh, through the South African Jockeys Academy. Um, and that's a five-year apprenticeship. So that's, that's where my journey in racing started. When you uh, were jumping in, because you came through that famous Durban Jockeys Academy, didn't you? Um, mm. Was there a, a particular, you know, a particular reason why you wanted to get into into racing? Was it uh, was it through family ties, or was it just that that's the path that you chose and you thought, right, here we go? I had no family ties um, to racing at all. Uh, no part of my family was was ever involved in racing. My direct family, obviously. Um, but no, I, I remember watching as a kid watching a, a TV show on the life of an apprentice jockey, um, and it sort of took my interest. And I said to my my parents, I said, "Well, that's that's what I want to do." And I, I don't think I'd ever spent a night away from home. And it was a five year apprenticeship that you move you move away from home. So Durban to Joburg is is quite some way. Um, and they thought, "Oh, well, this will never last." And I, off I went and got accepted, being the right sort of size and. And whatever they do, all sorts of measurements and whatever they do, and I was accepted into the Jockey Academy with, along with, at the time, forty, I think, forty-nine other boys. They they do an annual intake, and and a few of us um, graduated at the end of the year. And uh, uh, I spent five good years as an apprentice in in Durban, and that's where I end up spending my adult life as well. A lot of um, fellow riders that you went through that, that academy with that, that has produced some. Several champion jockeys, hasn't it? Oh, before I even um, was uh, involved in it, yes. My my wife now her her grandfather was a, a multiple champion jockey, um, a guy called Charlie Berens. Um, then then through to the earlier years when I started riding Michael Roberts, 
who um, won, I think he was the first foreign jockey to win 200 races in England in a season and won the premiership there. Um, then, of course, there was Basil Marcus, Felix could see uh, Dougie White, uh, all champion jockeys that, that you know plied their trade in Hong Kong, and and that was a big time when I was sort of qualified, and 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 some of the jockeys were plying their trade overseas. Which for an Australian sort of racing background, it seems like a, a natural progression for a jockey to go overseas. But South African jockeys didn't really travel much. Um, and going back to Michael Roberts, he was the first one really to travel. Um, and then, of course, uh, I ended up um, riding in Hong Kong. But prior to that, I got invited to ride out in the Winter Carnival um, in Brisbane by the late Bruce McLaughlin. So um, that was my first introduction to Australian racing, and re- I really loved it. And then a few years later, I ended up coming back and settling in Sydney. I went through some information on you over the weekend. So you'll correct me if I'm wrong, your first winner was at Scottsville? That's right, yeah. And do you remember the? Do, does it feel like you know yesterday? I've spoken with jockeys before in this segment, and they they can just visually put themselves back in that first winning moment. Is it, is it the same for you? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's something that that obviously it's it's a, it's a great moment in your in your life. I suppose any like any sportsman, like I suppose any cricketer scoring their first runs, um, any football player scoring their first goal. But yeah, riding your first winner. In a metro track, um, I think it was often my 15th ride or so. It was was a great thrill. It was my my boss at the time, Alistair Gordon, um, who was great to me, and um, yeah, he put me on a on a on a great path for my set my career up. It, well, I was going to ask about Alistair because it's a name that uh, not a lot of well, probably not a lot of our listeners would would have heard of before. Um, what were some of those things that Alistair you know instilled in you from a from a young age as as his as your as your boss? Well, he was a he was quite a young trainer um, when I was apprenticed to him, and he'd already trained I think a, a champion racehorse the year before, three or four years before I got there, in a horse called Brer Rabbit, and he had a a multitude of really big owners, and he had a big stable, um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to ride lots of winners for him um, through my apprenticeship. So yeah, he was really good to me. He had a good work ethic. Obviously, as an apprentice in South Africa, work is is your number one priority is working not really doing any much else in your formative years before you're ready to ride in a race so um you know you learn a really good work ethic and i think that's that's pretty much the standout um uh characteristic of of south african jockeys when they first start is is how much you're expected to work um in the mornings um as an apprentice and then of course in the afternoons uh you've got the school at the Jockey Academy, and then you go to afternoon stables as well. So it's, it's a really busy day, and and um, uh, that, I think that sort of sets a lot of things up for, for your future life. Mm. We've spoken about this before, I think when you were returned uh, recently to riding after your uh, your injury, that you'd like to see something like this academy in Australia. Funny you say that. It's it's been it's been mooted since I've since I've been. I got here in two thousand and eight permanently, and heard rumblings around the traps that, it, that something like that's going to happen but but racing in australia well even just new south wales is such a big sport it's vastly it's spread over, over everywhere whereas in in durban you know you have, we had four four or five tracks that were all based in the city and that was all there was so it was logistically it was a lot easier 
And of course, there are smarter people than me that, that, that are at the top <laughs> of the racing New South Wales that can work all that out. But it, it, it's something that would, would be of benefit because there have been um, a lot of imports, uh, young kids coming uh, as apprentices and, and, and doing really, really well. And it would be nice to have something that would, would sort of channel the young, the young local kids into that sort of profession and, and success as well. Um, you mentioned before, and I was going to ask you about this, so you, you did come out for that Winter Carnival in what early 2000s. It was 2002, yeah. wasn't it, that Winter Carnival? How did that um, come about? How did you get the call from Bruce McLaughlin? Was that a surprise? or It was a bit, yeah. I had a, a, a guy I used to ride for quite regularly was out at the Magic Millions um, sales, and uh, he must have had some sort of conversation with Bruce, and I think Bruce had, had clients that raced in Hong Kong, um, and I think seeing some of the South African riders over there at the time, I think he must have wanted a South African rider. Um, I think because at that time, Brian York had moved to Gay Waterhouse, um, who was uh, Bruce's uh, jockey, and I think he was looking for someone to f- fill that gap, and he, they phoned me up and approached me and asked me if I wanted to go, um, and yeah, I jumped at it. I, it was, was something I really... I've always wanted to you know, travel and, and explore different environments to race in and had a bit of success with Bruce, I must say, in that winter carnival. It was great. Yeah. And, and of course, um, now, the, you then, the timeline, um, did you go to Hong Kong next or when did you make the move out here permanently? Um, because you, yeah. you made that decision, obviously, in conjunction with your, your brother-in-law, Jeff Lloyd, and his family, and that was just with what was happening in South Africa. You know, probably wasn't the best place to have a family, so you thought, well, let's go to Australia. But was Hong Kong before that? Uh, yeah. So I rode in Brisbane in 2000, um, or two, maybe 2001, and then I ended up in Hong Kong shortly thereafter. I, I actually got... got a call from Hong Kong while I was in Australia asked me if I would, would put in an application, which I did. And then um, Bruce was hoping that I would, would stay on with him. And I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and ride in Hong Kong. They've given me a, a contract over there, which he understood. Um, so off I went to, to Hong Kong and spent four and a half years there. Um, and then after Hong Kong, I went back to South Africa for a year and a half or maybe two years. And as you say, we, as a family, we made a decision to maybe give our kids a, you know, we didn't know what the future held in South Africa, but um, it was a bit of a, you know, it was on a knife's edge. We didn't really know what was going to happen. So we, we thought we've got the opportunity to explore and let's go. So my wife and our three kids, we came over to Sydney and based ourselves here and, and we've been here ever since. What do you, with with oh, I'm not sure if you still have ties. No doubt you would with uh, some, you know, people that are involved with South African racing at the moment. What's it like uh, there at the moment, not from a political point of view, but just from a racing point of view, is it is the industry thriving over there, or does it does it need a bit of a jolt? It does need a bit of a jolt. It it, it really got onto its knees through the pandemic. Um, there was a lot of mismanagement in one of the race the companies that that run racing in Johannesburg, and it sort of fell on its knees. And it, one of the richest owners in in South Africa, one of the Oppenheimer children. Um, kindly donated some money to prop it up until it got back on its feet. And I, I think it's back running smoothly now, but I think it's it's um, it's taken a bit of a knock. And financially, I don't think they're in a great place. Hmm. But racing in itself, it's really well structured. Um, it's a pity that if, if it, it's in a difficult position because um, as you see racing here in Australia, it's absolutely thriving and it's a fantastic industry.
Yeah. Um, the move to Sydney. Uh, now, this was uh, when, when did you officially land in Sydney, and why did you choose Sydney and not uh, go to uh, to another part of the country? Well, I wanted to challenge myself. I'd ridden in Hong Kong and, and been successful there. I've ridden um, in many places and been successful. So whilst I was in Brisbane, I realised that obviously the, the best racing was either Sydney or Melbourne. And um, I'm not a fan of the cold weather, so decided to give Sydney a crack. And we were fortunate enough to uh, come here. And, and we landed in Sydney just before Christmas 2007. So I basically started riding in 2008. Um, in January and, and then um, yeah it was just finding your feet as a jockey you're fortunate you can just pick up your saddles and go it's not like you know you've got to uh, as a trainer you've got to relocate your whole staff and and stables and, re, and start from the beginning but you know I was 40 or 41 when I came here so um, it, was, it, was, it wasn't an easy task because I've soon realised in Australia um but once you got to about 40 as a jockey, people sort of wanted to overlook you. But that I had a, I've been here now 15 years or 14 years, so um, I'm in a position now where, um, you know, obviously rides are, are scarce to come by after having my injury, but I'm still riding winners and still being very competitive, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, then um, bringing, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Lloyd into it, which I know, which is with his family to you, but to see what he achieved... Uh, with his career, especially uh, in the latter part up there in Queensland where he was dominating, um, that must give you a bit of inspiration as well. Yeah, well, he had to he had to leave Sydney because he really wasn't getting any rides here, and then he went up there and and just showed that he he can still ride at a at a good age. And I think some of the jockeys riding up there are are really doing well. There's a lot of young talent coming through as well as as in every sport. That's what happens, you know. The next wave comes through, and the and the, and the younger talent comes to the fore, but. Uh, Fortunately enough, I've got a son who's who's you know categorised in that in that sort of bracket as well. Yeah, it's it's um, and we'll talk about Chad in a moment. Now, what about um, okay? So you're in Sydney, you're starting, you're building those foundations. Um, was there a particular apart from Haylist, which we'll talk about? But was there a particular uh, horse you you know you sat on early doors that you thought, wow, uh, I'm 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 here on a Ferrari. Well, not really like on a Ferrari, but. Um, John Massara was very instrumental in getting us out to to Australia, um, and he was he was a big help for me in the first uh, year that I was here. And of course, Paul, his son, who was training out at Scone, and I was doing a bit of quite a bit of riding for them. And he had a, a mare there um, called Alberta that um, I remember I rode her at Ramwick once, and she I thought I actually won the race. Takeover target just held on to hold on by a nose, and I thought. I thought I'd won the race, and I thought, oh, this this is this would be great for me. I was going past the post, and all sorts of emotions are going through your head. You think you've won the race, and of course, take over target being the horse that he was, uh, he didn't lay down, and and uh, he 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 beat us. But um, that that day, I thought if I'd won it, it might have sort of kickstarted a lot of things for me. But I was fortunate that I I did ride a lot of winners in the city in my first year um, in in Sydney, and I sort of progressed from there. But in answer to your question, what was the first Ferrari? I think Haylist was the first super horse that I rode, um, and he go, he'll go down as the best horse I think I've ever ridden. Yeah, I, I went back. So your first ride on on Haylist, because he he came over from um, came from Jim Taylor, got to John McNair, and then yeah. you rode him in the June Stakes, um, where he ran second behind Love Conquers All. Yeah. Um, 
did he give you the feel straight away? Like, oh, okay, we're in a, I'm on a pretty nice horse here, or was it just a, a gradual progression? You know, when you ride a horse for John McNair, as, as people who, who remember John's horses, they were rough and wild. Um, yeah, he used to train on his own farm, and John was a trainer from left field. And I didn't do much; I hadn't done much riding for him. And anyway, he, he put me on this horse, and I said to my manager, "What's this horse I'm riding?" He said, "He said, don't worry." He said to me, "You're going to love this horse. He's got a lot of good form behind his his name." And I, I set eyes on him, and it was a wintry day, cold day at, at Ramwick. It was wet, and he walked into the enclosure, and he had a big round barrel of a tummy on him. He had big, long, wintry fur, hair coming out of his ears. <laughs> he was sweating. He just didn't look a picture of health at all. And I thought, oh, well. Got on him, and I cantered him to the barriers. And as you described, what was the first horse I felt like a Ferrari? The feel that he gave me on the way to the barriers, I just knew. Obviously, looking at him, he wasn't in, in prime shape to, to run the, his best race that day. But I knew that he was a super horse. And he ran second um, and got really tired in the run. And John said to me after the race, he said, this horse is not even half ready. And he's run that close to a, to a top liner in Love Conquers All. Mm. So I knew he was a good horse. And unfortunately, I missed the ride on him his next start. Um, he was supposed to run in the, in the takeover target stakes at Gosford. And... Uh, I didn't know he'd had him dual nominated in Brisbane and my manager just decided, oh, well, he's going to run and on Thursday. He won't run in Brisbane and he, and he didn't follow up with a ride in Brisbane. Anyway, he didn't run it at, uh, at Gosford because it was wet and he won by six or seven lengths at Gosford and John, to his credit, straight after the race, he phoned me um, in Sydney and said, look, don't worry about him winning. Um, he's still your ride. So that wow. was a big relief. That was a big relief. I mean, that was, that was not many trainers do that, you know. Phone phone a jockey straight afterwards and say, "Don't worry about whoever's just ridden him. You're staying on him." That was that was a you know it was a big vote of confidence for me, and I was really happy with that because I'd ridden four winners at, at Ramwick on the day, and I, I went home really unhappy. Um, but <laughs> getting that phone call sort of put a spring back in my step. Because that was the Healy Stakes he won, and Chris Muntz rode him that day. That's right, yeah. At uh, at Eagle Farm, and then so obviously, because uh, I was going to ask you about because um, his next prep, uh, we had like a, a tiny break, uh, and he came back in September, and you, you obviously went to Melbourne. So the fact that you've just told us about that phone call, so you were just willing to just travel with this horse wherever he went. You just thought, wow, okay, yeah. And yeah. and he he won the McEwen. Was that your first winner then in Melbourne at the time? Had you had you ridden a winner in Melbourne uh, prior to that? No, I'm sure I had. I'm sure yeah. I had winners in Melbourne. Um, I was I, I used to go down and ride. Obviously the carnivals. Are, so what what year was that when he won the McEwen? He, he won the McEwen in in 2010, and then he backed it up the next start. He won that Manicato, that Group One. Yeah, he won the Manicato. It was like a barrier trial for him. Um, both those races actually. <laughs> I, I I actually said to. Um, to the owners, I said, I think he's one of the best horses in the world. He really was. And then, of course, he bumped into one of the best horses in the world at the time, or <laughs> well, the best horse in the world at the time, Black Caviar. That, that must be an incredible feeling. I mean, look, obviously a shattering feeling in, say, in yeah. the Lightning, uh, where you uh, dead set driving this Ferrari, like you said, giving this an unbelievable feel, and then to see this mare just put lengths on you that day... Um, Describe the emotion because you can't be disappointed in your horse because he's gone out of his skin. Yeah, he he look just touching on the the, 
the um, duels he had with Black Caviar, he never got he never got the better of her. But we tried um, sitting in behind her and trying to catch her. We tried eyeballing her. We tried getting a break on her. There's nothing that we did we could we could beat her. But I mean, I remember the TJ at Randwick. We I think we put eight lengths between us and and Buffering that was third. So um, he was a phenomenal horse, and and people don't really under, will never understand the problems that that horse had. Um, to endure to get to the races, um, it wasn't just a straightforward training campaign where you go and have one or two barrier trials and then you go to the races and run every two weeks. John used to patch him together like every time he'd have a piece of work, he'd pop an abscess out of a foot somewhere, or he'd get colic. Um, so it was really that's why I say he was the best horse I rode because he was ne- he never went to the races. I don't think in a hundred percent or even anywhere near ninety uh, percent. Um, peak performance and he used to run the races of his life mm. so um yeah he was courageous he was strong he was and he was brilliant correct me if i'm wrong but and i remember this as a young bloke watching this uh with my pop but i still think his best victory was the new market in 2012 where he what he carried 58 and a half um, he beat Buffering that day uh, by a nostril, but obviously, you know, was giving Buffering weight, was giving Fox Wedge weight as well in that yeah. race. I think Fox Wedge had, what, 50 on That's its right. back. Was that for his best win, do you think? Because it just showed the, the fighting qualities that he had. I think it was his best win because for me because um, it was against the best opposition. Um, obviously, Black Caviar wasn't there at that point because she was going to carry too much weight, but he carried the weight. Um, and and he had to give away weight a long way around, and it was it was so good because I think it was one of the first times, or might have been the second time, he actually wore, wore full race plates. He used to wear just um, little tips because of his feet. Um, so that was that was a that was a, a great win. Um, uh, and I'll never forget that <laughs> my instructions were talking before the race, and John was saying to me, right now, when you get to the six hundred. You just take off on him and, and go, and they won't catch you. And I said, John, it's the Flemington straight. I've got top weight, and there's a lot of lightweights. And I said, I don't think I'll be taking off at the top of at the 600. I think I'll be waiting and trying to time my run to get there late, which is <laughs> which is pretty much how I rode him. And I'm thank goodness, you know, he did hold on because I think John might have been a little bit upset that I didn't do what he wanted him to do. But um, I felt at the time, you know, I had the horse that was better than the rest, and rather. Let, let us catch them and then, then, then catching us. What about another great horse uh, that um, he, was a, he was a bit of a, oh, I won't say, well, maybe you can say the word enigma because I, I think of that victory uh, where he won, I think it was, a, yeah, he won a Stradbroke, uh, this horse. Um, no, not a Stradbroke, pardon me, a Doombin 10,000. I speak of uh, Bobbin or Boban. What about oh, that um, What about that Epsom win back in, uh, what, 2013 where you weaved through? Um, that must have been a big thrill to win on this horse. Oh, he was just a thrill to ride full stop. He, he, <laughs> talk about a Ferrari. He was like a Ferrari with, with a brick on the accelerator. He just, he just wanted to go flat out everywhere. Very hard horse to ride. Um, one of those horses that you just had to harness him. Um, and the less you asked him early the more he had for you late. Because if you just gave him a half, and if you if you jumped out the barriers and you saw a spot as a rider early on, you think, oh, I'm going to go a little bit and try and get in there, that was the end of your race because he would just, he'd be off and gone. Um, so you had to just be negative, negative, negative on him. Um, and he he didn't quite learn the art of racing. 
Um, and I think if he'd learned the art of, of racing, when I say it, the art of racing, as a horse, you know, want them to, to relax early, conserve their energy and be strong late. He wanted to be strong everywhere. Um, and and I think if, if he'd managed to learn his craft a little bit better, um, he would have been a super horse. Unfortunately, um, he did bleed. Um, so his, his career came to an, uh, like an end. But God, what a good horse he was to me. He, was a, it was a, he never won by very far. Um, he no. Was, I think his best win was, um, well, not his best win, his easiest win was when he won the Chipping Norton and he beat, um, it's a done deal. That, uh, uh, and, and he just, I hadn't ridden him for a few times. I think I got suspended or I got injured or something and there were two or three runs where I wasn't on him and, and he was, as I say, he was a hard horse to ride and the jockeys who rode him just really couldn't get on with him and I was fortunate enough that, that we just clicked and, yeah, we uh, ten thousand was a was a great win too because he he'd had a spell he'd come back, and Chris trained him to perfection on the day. I mean, I think the ten thousand that day was um, thirteen fifty. I think nowadays it's a twelve hundred. So yeah. first up, thirteen fifty. Uh, he came from you know well back in the field and he went across the line. There was three of us and and he put his head down and won. So he had a tremendous will to win and a tremendous finish on him. Your uh, career, you mentioned um, you, just then we were talking about um, uh, Bobe and the, the injuries. Um, you have had some injuries. I, I went back and had a read. 2011, you had a bad fall at Ramwick. And is it true that, well, it is true, uh, but you had 14 screws in your collarbone. And a couple of weeks later, you were riding in Singapore and you won a gold cup. Yes, right. So I was actually due to fly out to go and ride a horse um, in Hong Kong in the QE2 called Chitano Hernando for a guy I used to ride for in South Africa, Herman Brown, whose horse I rode in the in the Melbourne Cup. Um, and, yeah, I fell on a Saturday at Randwick. Sorry, he was supposed to run yeah, the next weekend at, in Hong Kong. And I fell, fell on Saturday and broke my collarbone in four places, and I had 14 screws put in it on the Monday. And then Damien went and rode him in Hong Kong, and I phoned Herman, the trainer, and I said, look, this is what's happened. He said, but, I, he said, but don't worry. I said, my manager was doing Damien's rides as well, um, Mark Van Treat, and he got Damien on. And I said, look, don't tell him not to get too happy with the, with the horse. I'm going to ride him in Singapore, which was uh, two weeks after Hong Kong. And he said, yeah, right. Anyway, so I said to the doctor, I said, look, just screw this thing together. I said, I've got to ride in, in two and a half weeks, which is what he did. He put a few screws in it and um, I think I rode I think I rode Rose Hill on the Saturday rode a winner then flew out to Singapore and won the Singapore Cup on, on the horse on the Sunday so yeah two and a half weeks later uh, I was I was back riding and, and rode a nice group one winner which is yeah, that was very satisfa- satisfying I must say and what about um, the more recent falls um, because you, you had uh, you had some more issues with, especially with your back yeah more, more my neck than my back okay um, I uh, had a fall at Randwick a little while ago, well, year, maybe a year and a half, maybe a bit more. And, you know, getting on in age and you, and you saw, and I just thought it was, you know, just age creeping up and not healing as quickly as I could have. And I just rode for, I reckon, for about a year. And I must have had done some damage to it, but um, it was a horse sort of like really lunged with me once at Warwick Farm and, and really hurt my neck um and i think it just flared up something that was really annoying me and then of 
course, I had, I had no feeling in my right arm for a while, and um, eventually had to have an operation on my neck and sort my vertebrae and my my, my nerves and all that stuff, stuff out. So that put me off for about a year, and I've just been back since November now, and I've ridden a few winners and and a few nice winners too, a few group winners um, early on. So I'm looking to hopefully try and build on that and get some nice carnival rides and, and see where that takes me. Did you think at the time when you had those those injuries and trouble with your neck that um, you know this was it? Were you, were you contemplating retirement? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I must say the first five or six weeks, two months, I was really enjoying, you know, not having to wake up, not having to go to the races, not having to lose weight, not be disappointed with uh, because I was riding under pain. I was I was obviously riding really well, um, and I think I've come back and I, I think I'm riding it, you know as good as I can with the rides I'm getting. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought about retirement, but I really enjoy what I do. I know I'm not doing it at, at the highest level that I would like to be doing it at, but that's purely based on the opportunities I'm getting at the moment, I think. Um, and uh, the opportunities I do get, I, I seem to be you know, getting good results from them. Um, and whilst I was sitting out for that almost a year, I'd, I got quite itchy and bored and, was, you know, you, there's a lot of time for reflection on what you're going to do. And you know, I just lowered my, my expectations a bit and thought, you know, I'll, I'll come back and give it a crack and see how I go. Um, so far, it's been, it's been okay, um, acceptable for me. Um, I'd like, obviously like to ride more winners, but, you know, hopefully, you know, they will come. And is, is Sydney going to be the permanent home? I know you, your wife, um, Tiffany, loves it. You've got, obviously, you're a granddad now as well. got the little one yeah. there with Whitney, which is fantastic for you. And I know you're from, well, from looking at the social media posts, you're, you're loving that, um, yeah. that role. And yeah. um, she's going to be one spoiled girl, I tell you what. But um, have you thought about maybe doing what Jeff did and, and going mm. elsewhere? No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, you know, if I was going to do it, I should have done it maybe four or five years ago. Yep. Um, I, I think with with Chad coming back from Hong Kong and him and Hannah are having a baby on Wednesday, um, and as you say, Whitney and Luke have had a little girl six months ago. So no, my family's here in Sydney. I don't think uh, that's going to be an option for me. Uh, as you say, you know, I'm really enjoying that part of life as well. Um, so I've got a really good balance at the moment. I'm really enjoying, you know, I'm enjoying riding. I love the camaraderie of the jockeys' room and the boys and. And all that—it's—it's it's something that that gives me a you know gives me a bit of a thrill. I'm still really competitive, and of course, my family means more to me than anything. So, yeah, that's 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 what I'm going to be focusing on uh, in the future. That's fantastic, Lynn. Before I let you go, mate, how proud are you to to see a chat? I mean, look at. It's not the biggest race he's won. It's not going to be the biggest race he's won. Of course, he's won that Cox Plate with Seamus Award, and I, I think we've spoken about before um, how emotional you were that day watching from Rose Hill when he won that Cox Plate, but. Yeah. Um, to, to see him, you know, achieving what he's done. I mean, now he's going to become a, a, a father. Um, you must be very, very proud. You've done well, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. It, it, you know, there's no, there's no greater joy in life. I mean, as a, as a professional sportsman, you get a lot of, a lot of highs. Um, well, I've been fortunate to have a lot of highs, but there's no high you get better than watching your, your children succeed. And, and, you know, Chad's one of three kids I've got and proud of all of them. But, uh, yeah, he's come back from Hong Kong into, you know, Sydney is the most competitive environment I think there is uh, in, in racing at the moment. Um, and yeah, he's come back and, you know, he's, his first winner was for Godolphin in, in the Gosford Guineas, I think. And now he's he's back about a month and he's 
now won the Millennium with a live slipper contender. And, um, you know, he can only build from there. He's, he's an extremely talented boy. Um, and I'm sure he's going to make his presence felt here in Sydney and Australian racing now that he's back permanently. What we need, though, Glenn, we need uh, you and him dueling it out in a big group one and you getting him on the line and just saying, hey, the old boy's still got it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember I went back. I was fortunate enough to go back and be invited to ride in Hong Kong when they were short of jockeys when Chad was still riding there. And, and um, I think we, we quinelled one race in Hong Kong. We both won a race on the same day and, and he... he won it and I ran second. Um, and then when he came back to ride in Sydney, he was riding a short favourite um, for Chris Waller and, at Ramwick. And you know, lo and behold, he was looking for his first winner and I, and I knocked him off on the line. So, uh, <laughs> so, that, so I, I've got to let him know that I'm still around, that's for sure. That's exactly right. Mate, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. We could have chatted for hours um, because there is, uh, you know, there's things we didn't touch on, but we've only got limited time. Uh, you're a champion, man. Thank you so much for coming on, and I look forward, and I'm sure all the punters do out there, seeing you continue on and, and get those winners. And as you said, get those opportunities, and uh, and we'll see G. Schofield getting the collects. Thanks, Dave. Thanks very much. I really appreciate your time. Cheers. Glenn Schofield, our Monday's expert today. Wonderful to chat with Glenn. He's got a fantastic story and uh, a lot of champion jockeys have come out of that uh, that Durban Academy, that Durban Jockeys Academy. And um, it's good to hear too that South African racing, uh, after being in a, a bit of shaky ground, is, is finding its way back because there's some very talented horse men and women in South Africa and well, we see them popping up here all the time in Australia and uh, Glenn and his family are no exception. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we've got uh, the whip around coming up. We're going to try and find you a winner across the country.